good morning, everyone, or good evening, or good afternoon, depending upon where you happen to be located this uh, November 14th, 2021, on this rotating globe. Welcome to another edition of The Other Side of Midnight. As I've said now far too many times, the time when uh, unusual things were confined to this time slot and now are occurring around the world 24 Seven. Well, we have a really interesting show this morning because several things have developed that uh, kind of warrant our attention. We're moving uh, back our view into outer space. There are some developments which have taken place in the last few days that are well worth attention. And I just remembered I forgot something. So uh, when we get to it, I will, I will remember to tell you what I forgot. <laughs> Does that make sense? Anyway, um, before we get started, let me redirect all those folks who may be new to the show to how we get to the section called Radio with Pictures, where we post images and links and video and trivia and anything that we kind of think is newsworthy. So you're on a smartphone, you're on a computer, you're on a modern digital device, you can... Uh, uh, listen and look at what we have to be displayed at the same time. So what you want to do is you want to go to the other side of midnight.com. That's our URL. Click on tonight's banner, which says rather enigmatically, what's wrong with NASA's new proposal for confirming ET life? And yes, there is a fatal flaw. And I'm astonished that no one else seems to have picked up on it. So uh, we will in the next few minutes. Uh, so click on that. That will take you to the guest page. And right under the guest page, you will see uh, fast links to items. Uh, Richard, John, Andrew, and Ron. And then there, under that, there are fast links to bios for John, Andrew, Ron, and Keith. Uh, click on my name. That will take you to the section already with pictures where... Some news items are displayed. Item number one, we're leading again tonight, as we have for the last several weeks, with the story of La Palma. This is an app which you can put on your phone, which will alert you if there is any major seismic activity. The reason we're concerned about that is because back in, uh, I think it was 2001, there was a major paper published, peer-reviewed, by a team of geologists, kind of out-of-the-box thinker geologist who said that if a major event happened uh, to La Palma, which is a little island off the northwest Africa in the Canary Islands, then about half the island which split during a preceding eruption of the volcano on uh, La Palma um, could fissure the island where half of it would slide into the Atlantic causing a major mega tsunami. And there have been all kinds of estimates. Their estimate was on the order of 100 or so feet, racing across the Atlantic at uh, speed of sound, uh, raising a wave around 100 feet high. But when it gets to the shore on the other side of the Atlantic, North Atlantic Basin from La Palma, the calculations were that the shallowing of the continental shelf would create a mega tsunami, meaning the wave height could increase to several hundred feet, and at that speed, six, seven hundred miles an hour, it could race inland 20, 30 miles, 
and you all saw that kind of played out in the movie Deep Impact, um, where an object struck uh, just offshore off the East Coast and the uh, resulting tsunami, tidal wave, whatever you want to call it, raced inland, and there was a very dramatic scene at the end of the movie, and I won't uh, give it away in case you haven't seen it. It was a tour de force of Hollywood special effects. Well, that's kind of like the worst-case scenario with about nine hours' warning uh, if La Palma should do its worst. Right under that, item number two is a recent story that appeared on the uh, local Channel 8 uh, website, uh, one of the major major uh, news outlets there in uh, in Florida, and it uh, talks about all the reasons geologists have now come up with in the ensuing you know decade uh, uh, plus um, for the mega tsunami scenario to not be correct. And as we try to do on this show, we try to present both sides, and I know that's simplistic because life is more than left and right, up and down, back and forth. There's more than two sides to a situation. Life is nuanced. Unfortunately, public discourse most of the time these days is not. So what we've done is we've published kind of the opposing point of view. Geologists writing um, in uh, uh, Florida today, um, why La Palma cannot take place as a mega disaster, as a mega tsunami. And you can uh, read of it what you will. My precaution would be to keep the La Palma alert on my phone. I would have a go bag packed. I've told my brother and his family who live on the East Coast on the uh, North Carolina shore to kind of watch La Palma because worst case scenarios, although they are rare, they sometimes do happen. Now, item number three comes under that heading. And so let me make a couple of clicks here. I want to read you something that came in uh, last night after last night's show. This is from one of our listeners. His name is Jay. And he said, um, uh, he, he, he expresses kind of admiration for my tolerance of ideas that I know or believe are wrong. Uh, and he um, uh, raises a specific uh, question. He says, here's the question. If indeed COVID-19 is a conspiracy against the race, meaning the human race, wouldn't getting people to voluntarily inject themselves with something that will damage their health be just as effective or perhaps more effective, especially since it has had all the weight of government and officialdom behind it. He goes on, I don't ask you to agree with this idea, since I'm sure you won't. I only ask you to consider if this is plausible. So I want to address item number three specifically to Jay and a lot of other listeners out there who share uh, that opinion. Yes, of course I've considered that. I've considered everything. The most outrageous hypotheses are swirling around the entire COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, ranging from it's it's non-existent, it's a hoax, it's a fake, to it's an extraordinary uh, plot by Bill Gates to kill off humanity, that the vaccines which have been created in record time 
are, you know, using humans as guinea pigs. They're not ready for prime time. And the hundreds of millions of people around the world who have gotten them are basically, you know, on a, on a track to death's door. I've looked at all of the scenarios. See, one of the things that I find interesting is that the same kind of checks and balances in the scientific community, only on a much larger scale, obtain with the founding fathers in the sense of their creation of this experiment called the United States of America, namely three branches of government, each of which would be a check and a balance to the other. So what in the field of science is a check and a balance, particularly when you include public policy in terms of public health? Well, normally conspiracies such as have been posited for COVID-19 and vaccines and all that only work when the conspiracy is confined to a very, very limited number of people because people love to talk. Back during World War II, there was a catchphrase, loose lips sink ships. You know, people working in shipyards, working on munitions, working in armaments plants, you know, after work, going to bars, talking, getting a bit too, uh, you know, lubricated and freely talking and German spies and Japanese spies circulating among them and listening for every little snippet. This, these were major concerns because people love to talk. Now, you add to that that when you have a global situation where it's not just a handful of conspirators who know what's going on, but you have literally hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions, with social media able to communicate instantly anywhere on the planet who talk to each other 24-7 about everything, and everyone has access to documentation that only a handful had in eras before, then you add in the money factor. If there was real documentable evidence that in fact there was this mega conspiracy going on in terms of the vaccine to kill us with a vaccine as opposed to with the virus, or that the virus merely a hoax and you know there weren't almost a million people who have died in the United States alone in the last 18, 19 months from the virus. If that could be documented, if that could be um, discovered in terms of a paper trail, memos, research documents, not just one opinion, but multiple documents converging on the same outrageous, extraordinary solution. In an era where money is king, where news media would pay an amazing amount for documented proof of such a global conspiracy. Could you imagine any conspiracy involving the tens of thousands of people in, for instance, public health departments all over the planet, to say nothing of all the hospitals and all the medical centers, which encompass more hundreds of thousands of researchers and nurses and doctors and again, I'm not talking about a tiny subset who have raised alarms. I'm talking about data which will convince the majority in the middle that something is rotten in Denmark, that something evil is going on. With all these social conditions and the incredible ease of communication, 
if there was substantive documented evidence that this in fact was occurring, it would be found. And I know there are people out there who say, oh, but it would be suppressed. The problem is, or the good side is, it can't be suppressed. If it was suppressed, then all of the dissident perspectives, which are lone voices, not converging on the same conclusions, but separate voices of, in, in terms of separate countries and separate genres, would not be able to make any disclaimers known. There would be uniform silence from the counterforce side. We would not hear of people who claim the vaccines are killing us. We would not hear of there being vast conspiracies. In other words, we are in a free fire zone where no single point failure or claim based on no evidence, no substantive replicable evidence can be trusted. So how do you make a decision? Well, one of the things I've been saying for some time is I'm less concerned about the evil plots around the vaccine than I am around the evil plots around the virus itself. If, in fact, we are under attack, if, in fact, as I've said, the evidence to me points toward we're at war and COVID-19 is the vehicle, then you have to look at the effects of the virus itself. And there is overwhelming documented proof from all over the world that not only do a significant percentage of, of people, you know, maybe one or two out of 100, which in a large population is an extraordinary of people to die from a disease which can be cured now, but the long-term effects of COVID, which have shown up under the rubric of long haulers, those that have symptoms that persist for weeks or months or in some cases over a year, that body of people who get the disease recover but never really recover, that number is up around 30%. Now, in a war, the objective is not to kill the enemy, but to impair the enemy's ability to wage war. And the way you do that is you make the enemy turn to saving those who are not dead but are alive but have to be cared for, have to be maintained, where resources and time and effort and human power has to be devoted to caring for that percentage of the population that cannot care for themselves. So if you go to item number three, you'll see a story, came out a few days ago from the LA Times, of a researcher uh, there at um, UCLA, uh, Dr. Maria Boldrini, who is studying the brains of deceased people who have died of COVID-19 in an attempt to better understand how it is causing these enormous long-term neurological effects. And if you read down in the article, um, she has some very interesting quotes. Uh, let me find one that's... Uh, most most appropriate. She says, very strange symptoms made even stranger because they were cropping up in people with no personal or family history of such problems. Um, problems such as <clears throat> the inability to think, uh, kind of, uh, you know, memory losses, um, 
the, the disease, uh, the article says, may be best known for its ability to rob people of their breath, but as the pandemic spread, patients began reporting a disconcerting array, disconcerting array of cognitive and psychiatric issues, memory lapses, fatigue, mental fuzziness that became known as brain fog. These were also more acute problems such as paranoia, hallucinations, thoughts of suicide, and psychosis. This strange constellation of symptoms has led researchers to suspect that the disease is mounting a direct attack on the brain. Researchers now want to figure it out, what is causing the assault's long-term effects, and obviously what you might do, what researchers might do, what clinicians might do to ultimately someday solve the problem and eliminate the idea of COVID-19 as a long-term pernicious disease. In other words, if you use the simple maxim of Occam's razor, which paraphrased is that any given situation, the simpler explanation is most likely the most reliable, the one you can depend on, the one that reflects the truth. If we are under an attack and there is now kind of agreement on many sides of this multifaceted equation that COVID-19 is not a natural evolution from, you know, some bat somewhere in China through some intermediary which has never been found into uh, people, that it in fact is, was created as a bioweapon. And I'm going to have as a guest on the show in the not-too-distant future uh, the man who wrote the treaty on the banning of bioweapons in warfare, Dr. Bell. Um, when we have him for discussion, I have an enormous range of very relevant questions I'm going to ask, such as, if this is a weapon, what could its long-term objectives be? Because as a killer, it's not like Ebola, which is incredibly efficient. More than half the people, maybe 80% of the people who get Ebola, die. And that was, you know, before there was a uh, vaccine. I'm not sure what the numbers are now. With COVID, it's much more insidious, much more insidious, kind of like the creators of the weapon have been able to outthink those trying to develop a defense and are one step ahead. For instance, there are areas of the, of the country, this country, like in New England, in Vermont, where something like 80 to 90 percent of the of the population is vaccinated and they're having surges they're having outbreaks they're having you know large numbers of people admitted to the hospital and also proportionately speaking in terms of population they are dying how can that be well suppose instead of merely being passed from person to person to person this bioweapon, COVID-19, is being systematically re-injected into the atmosphere, either by aerial spraying, by satellite technology, or a mixture of both. And so areas that are, quote, safer, in fact, are not safer because someone, the bad guys, are injecting the disease again into a population where there can be up to 20% or 30 or 40% of people who have not been vaccinated. And there are, there are numbers that kind of indicate this might be true. But again, I say might be 
possibly could. There is so much uncertainty around this entire pandemic situation, which, of course, is part and parcel of what happens in any war. The first casualty is truth. The first casualty is trust. The first weapon of creating distrust is to sow such seeds of dissent that populations will internally tear themselves apart because they do not know who or what they can trust because as laypersons, they do not have a process to even begin to figure out truth from lies because all their life they have depended on the integrity and the credibility of institutions. And that credibility has now been thoroughly shattered by a well-funded, really well-funded, aggressive assault on the very concept of major institutions as a bastion for anything approaching integrity or truth or scientific rigor or simply being honest with the public. So we have destroyed as a culture the fundamental coin of the realm, which is the confidence and faith in public health. And as we look around, we see the extraordinarily negative results. Again, if I was the enemy, I would be incredibly pleased tonight that everybody is at each other's throats and nobody is trusting anybody. Now, the good news is there are still real scientists out there. There are still institutions with integrity who have people working for them with integrity. The only question is, who are they and how do you find them? And I think researchers who are trying to find out if, in fact, this COVID-19 is specifically being targeted as a mechanism of dissembling, disassembling, you know, a large percentage of the population in terms of brain function. I mean, without a functioning brain, you have basically zombies. And how many movies about zombie apocalypses kind of erupted over the last couple of uh, decades? This is not a trivial situation. Not a trivial situation at all. Which leads me to item number four. Is it coincidence in this same time frame? We just had a conference held of all places at the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. on the 10th of November that went on for a couple of hours, which has been uh, taped. It's on YouTube, and we have a link to it, so you can click on it directly and watch it. I would recommend absolutely that you watch it at your earliest convenience. Item number four is a story from the New York Post talking about the nation's top spy chief, uh, Averill Haynes, who reports directly to the president uh, the results of 16 United States intelligence agencies in terms of enemies, threat assessment, strategic advantages, in other words, are the state of national security. This particular individual the other day at this conference made public statements in essence admitting that the remarkable um, sightings and encounters of uh, two U.S. aircraft battle groups, one on the West Coast and one on the East Coast, and then subsequent activity, the so-called UAP phenomenon, unidentified aerial phenomenon, which, of course, we all know is the attempt to change the branding of the UFO situation. You know, Ms. Haynes admits 
These objects, these vehicles, which are capable of stunning, extraordinary, totally counterfactual physics to any physics that is in general uh, understanding and acclaim by the mainstream scientific community, i.e. the control of gravity and inertia, able to go from 80,000 feet in the stratosphere to right above the ocean in seconds without smearing the uh, uh, pilots all over the cockpit. That kind of technology could be under the aegis of some kind of extraterrestrial entity. So now, put item number four and item number three together, Jay, all right? Stand back and look at this from the big picture. If we have extraterrestrials who are basically conducting offensive military maneuvers in plain view of the most powerful surface ocean fleets this planet has ever created in the modern era, to demonstrate as a show of force, you know, you guys got nothing compared to what we've got, while simultaneously a global pandemic of unprecedented dimensions, symptomology, long-term effects is basically, uh, you know, debilitating a third of the population that succumbs to it. What more in the equation that we are at threat, we are under, under attack, we are at war, do you need for the establishment, the top intelligence officer of the United States to all but admit these connections. In other words, that conference held a few days ago at the National Cathedral had an audience. Was the audience for you or me? No. Was it for any of the dedicated researchers in the UFO community who've been working, uh, you know, 20, 30 years like Steve Bassett to bring about disclosure? No. Going back to Roddenberry's rule, if it's real, it will be on television, i.e. national media, on the Internet, on network television, in the news, in major newspapers, papers of record like The Post or The Times. That conference was aimed specifically at the in-crowd, the decision-makers, the people who pull the strings, nay, I say, the controllers of the deep state, because they need to be made aware that we are at war. And if you want to actually watch and listen to the conference, it's item number five. That's a direct link to this incredibly interesting two-hour expose of what the in-crowd really believes with the DNI, the Director of National Intelligence, basically saying it, there could be extraterrestrials. I mean, come on. When has the U.S. government ever, since the 1940s, admitted on the record that even the possibility of ETs was seriously being considered? We are in a whole new era, and tonight... We are going to be talking about this whole new era with my guests. Um, We're at the bottom of the hour, so what we're going to do is we're going to take a break, and then we'll come back, and then I will introduce who is part and parcel of this very important evening, following last night's very important evening. You're on the other side of midnight. 
My name is Richard C. Hoagland. If you leave us now, you may never return. As you continue to work on yourself, the tribe comes forward. They'll come right to your door. So just keep doing the work and it'll come together. Yep, as you increase your frequency, then you become more mature in your manifestation abilities and your other higher senses and gifts come online and then you have more power to make your world different and better and how you want it. And so that's why working on yourself is so important because then you're going to create the reality that you want rather than get sucked into the dystopia that's being created by the negative or shadow side. We're becoming uh, Renaissance men and women where we have multiple skill sets and we can dance from science into art and we can use both sides of our hemispheres when we can realize how much we have to really offer and uh, grow into. And this is what's happening now. This is where we're headed into a really beautiful place. So we can rejoice in that despite the fear, despite what it looks like on the outside. This is how disease transforms. The mess in the chaos is necessary in order to see what you have before you so you can clean it up and just make decisions to change your reality. If you don't see it, how do you know it's there to even be changed? Or if you ignore it, right? Then how can you make the differences? You can't. So the mess is before us, accept our mess, and now know that that's part of empowerment to be able to see and to be able to transform it. Hi, this is Amanda Vollmer, and I was on the other side of the news and I really enjoy my time discussing deeper topics and really getting to the heart of truth and the things that matter in this world and what we are doing and why we're here and and what we're heading toward. I really recommend listening in and and learning, uh, expanding your awareness and your knowledge. It's important and these are the times to do it and we're being asked to pay attention and to challenge ourselves and uh, think beyond, beyond the box.
And welcome back, everyone, on this Sunday night, November 14th, to the other side of midnight. My guests this morning include Jonathan Womack, who is a very experienced, uh, I guess you call him a hyperdimensional traveler, because he began leaving his body in the fall of 65 at the age of eight. Remember, um, last night, uh, Dr. Solheim was talking about his first encounter with hyperdimensional realities when he almost died when he was four and some presence, some entity, some extra dimensional being interfered and saved him um, and thereby changed his life. Well, the same thing kind of happened to, to John. Um, he's been involved in martial arts since his teens. He is currently the executive producer at an entity called Mind World Entertainment and has just launched a new TV series, The Out-of-Body Experience Show, Metaphysics and More, on Amazon Prime. And uh, I'm probably missing a couple of things there. You can go and read his bio on the other side of midnight. Uh, we also have uh, Ron Gerbron with us, He's a member of the Enterprise Mission Imaging Team. He is a proudly uncredentialed polymath with a deep interest in archaeology, especially uh, Martian, Martian archaeology. I'll get that right. He was raised on a farm in Pennsylvania as a kid and uh, uh, collected arrowheads when he was growing up. Um, he found the programmatic aspects of education, particularly academia, higher education, much too limiting after attending a famous Quaker school in Pennsylvania. And uh, he then became a kind of a generalist, like I fancy myself that I am. And he contributes almost every show something unusual, something of interest, something worthy of uh, note uh, when he calls in. And he is with us tonight. Andrew Curry is with us. Andrew uh, began his artistic career at a community college, uh, as an artist at a community college, working with neighborhood groups to create murals in school and community centers. As a graphic designer and illustrator, he serviced small to large Canadian companies. And for the past decade, he's been working as a storyboard illustrator um, in film and television. And through him, we've had some very interesting uh, guests as well as in-depth conversations. And he is also a member of the uh, Enterprise Mission Imaging Team. Uh, Keith Morgan is with us, as you know, of course. He is our resident uh, audio and IT expert. He also uh, worked uh, for Ted Koppel on um, uh, Nightline for something like 30 years at the ABC News Bureau in Washington, D.C. He has a um, B.A. in communications from Howard University with a minor in computer science. And um, he, of course, is founder of a most extraordinary um, discovery at Sidonia, the so-called Morgan Curve, which has joined a litany of other mathematically unique and statistically impossible, quote, coincidences that prove to any objective engineer or scientist that the mathematics and the geometry and architecture of Sidonia is real, surrounding the infamous face on Mars, and his work was one of the early efforts at mathematics to convince an awful lot of people that, in fact, we were not all crazy. So without further ado, let me welcome all of you back to the other side 
of Midnight. Good to be here, Richard. That's John. Hi, Richard. That's Andrew. Hi, Richard. And that's Ron. And, and, Keith, don't and, and Keith is there waiting in the wings. <laughs> who had a most interesting accident last night that maybe we'll might regale the audience with a little later in the show. You know, going back to coincidences, I just find that really weird. Anyway, um, anybody have a reaction to all the incredibly controversial things I said at the top? I do. Who's this, Andrew? Andrew, yeah. yeah. So, Richard, um, without devolving into a whole lot of politics <laughs> and points really? of view. Really? You think that's no, possible? I <laughs> <laughs> well, I know there are voices out there that are you know, you know, that listen to you and would agree with you 100%. And there's voices that are in the middle, probably most people going, huh, that's interesting. And then, of course, there's a whole other side that says what you said is total baloney. Well, let me let me go and take this from a certain perspective. Let's just pretend that I've been asleep for, for the last 20 years and I wake up in the Catskill. So I'm Rip Van Winkle. Let's just – that's who I am right now. So I come in right now. I popped on your show, but let's just say that I did a whole bunch of quick reading. I don't know. I had a really great download time in my brain, and I discovered all about Richard C. Hoagland and his – how many decades is it now long, the Enterprise mission, Richard? Oh, four or five. Okay, so a long time. And, oh, then I might have been awake before, when you were already going. <laughs> but then I find out about this whole... Well, technically, the Enterprise mission began in uh, 1996, so it's been right. since uh, mid-90s. Yeah, I was going to say 30 years. But the, but, so the, I, but the research has been going on for like uh, two decades before that, so it is you know almost 50 years. It's amazing. Yeah. So, so I wake up, and I maybe rediscover your work or I found out you're holding up a picture of the face on Mars on CNN and someone shares it with me and who's this guy and and then I find out about this whole you know COVID scenario and everything that's going on there and I pour over all the data but I'm pretty much agnostic about the whole thing because I don't know but I look at your research and I listen to what you said you know and I kind of go over the videos and the books and the articles and the Enterprise Mission website uh, which has a slightly different name now can you Call that out for the audience, Richard, just so they know. Because yeah, I want to. It's Enterprise Missions with an S on it. dot com. Yeah, exactly. So because some little... years ago, uh, someone stole Enterprise. Yeah. We have been under attack for a very long time. Well, and it shows how important your work is. But here's the thing: I look at what you've done, where you've analyzed all the space. Remember, I'm Rip Van Winkle here. I've analyzed all your work and what you say about all the various space agencies around the planet and let's face it what you're suggesting is that there is some kind of subterfuge here that they're hiding something and they're doing it somehow together whether they you know and how they do it when someone's drinking in a bar or they meet ron in the denny's or i, I you know how they're able to hold this quote unquote conspiracy together is a completely different question so then i come to covid and i and you know and how am I not seeing the same patterns? Do you see what I'm saying? Like I'm not I'm not taking a side here. I mean I have a side, but I'm not I don't want to go on that. I want to go higher and say, how do we justify what you said about this cannot be a conspiracy? And yet look at the body of your work over. No, no, all no, no, these no, wait, 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 wait. You're 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 misquoting me. I didn't say it wasn't a conspiracy. I'm trying to identify what the conspiracy is. In other words, okay, to well, me, the pandemic is a conspiracy. 
keeping it secret is also part of the conspiracy. And how do you keep it secret? You spread disinformation that it's like the flu, it's trivial, it's nothing, or that it doesn't even exist. And then you spread disinformation at the vaccines, which will save people, you know, will actually kill them. And so you have a huge body of people who are totally ass over tea kettle, totally confused, who have no idea who to trust. Because again, most people do not go back and do their basic homework. They have no capabilities to do that from ground zero. And so they have to rely on people, as I said, or institutions. And what has happened in the last four years is we've seen the effective destruction of public confidence in any institutions or government, you know, research, or the press, or anybody that used to be a bastion of credibility for most people. But I think that there's good reason for that on many different levels. That's a separate issue. That's a separate issue. You know, yes, the government has lied to us about a whole bunch of things. Yes. The the key question is, are they en masse? Because it's not just the government. You'd have to involve so many tens of thousands of people in the field, in the vineyards, on the front lines, medical staff, medical workers, you know, crematoriums, mortuaries, uh, you know, the list is monumentally long. They all have to be in on it, and nobody can be bought off to where they basically, like the gal that, you know, broke from Facebook, with documents from inside showing how Facebook, how Zuckerberg and company have been lying to us for decades about Facebook. Their own studies show they've been lying. Or some, you know, a couple of decades ago, the tobacco companies that sat in front of Congress and said forthrightly, no, nicotine is not addictive. And then you find through, you know, subpoenas and, and court action that their internal research says that nicotine is incredibly addictive. So they sat there and they've lied systematically. Or the most recent example, the oil companies that now documents have been revealed that they've known that their product, i.e. oil, fossil fuels, causes the planet to warm up and will eventually kill us all. And they sit in front of Congress and they say, absolutely, it has nothing to do with global warming. In other words, that kind of revelation from inside the establishment, the leaks, think of Snowden. Snowden, under the most oppressive security that we can mount, the National Security Agency somehow was able to escape and escape to all places Russia with documentation of all the levels at the NSA that have been lying to us for decades on a whole bunch of things having to do with our you know, freedom of, of publication, freedom of privacy, you know, private channels of communication, phone logs, metadata, all of that. It all eventually comes out. So if if we all live long enough, eventually the truth is going to come out to where everybody says, oh my God, that's the horse we should have bet on. At the moment, we don't have that breakthrough inside set of whistleblowers with documentation, which is what we desperately need when no one knows how to figure out the truth. So is there a conspiracy? Of course. The question is, what is it really? Richard? Yes? Uh, If I can toss in a comment about one of your arguments, uh, when you were talking about the oil companies, Mm -hmm. and no, I I do not have any relatives in nor work for uh, (laughs) Standard Oil nor any other, 
the um, although I'd go as far. Never mind. We won't talk about Sony. <laughs> uh, the uh, yeah, uh, when I was a little kid, which was a long time ago, folks, uh, I read that uh, we were going to run out of accessible fuel sources in about forty years. When I was in junior high, yeah, it's called peak oil. Said, oh, we're, yeah, we're going to run out of we're going yeah we're going to reach that. Well, they didn't used to call it that, but we're going to run out of oil, uh, reachable oil, and uh, in forty years. And they kept saying this. It maintained business. Sinclair Oil, which used to be a big company, even had a dinosaur as their emblem mm-hmm. for the company. And, you know, Dino the Dinosaur, everybody loved it. I remember seeing it on signs when I was a little kid. And it's not made from, uh, they still call them fossil fuels. Well, that's vaguely fair, but it's, it's not made out of dinosaurs or compacted anything. It's, it's produced in the, earth, in the earth. They know what the chemical and geological processes are that produce oil. So you can say whatever you like about abiotic oil, but it's it's not produced by dead dinosaurs, and yet people still talk about that. They and the relevance the, uh, of that to this discussion? They were lying from the start for reasons of business. Yeah, but but that's, you that's your assumption. It, the, the, do, do we have actual documentation going back to the 50s? Because up until relatively recently... We have the actual commercials. You know it's not made out of dinosaurs, no, no, and they no, used no, to do no, that. no, no. They used to do that because they used to think that. Remember, science is not infallible. It's not like the Pope. Science constantly is finding it's wrong. It's dead-ass wrong. Being wrong is not a crime. Lying about the truth when you know it's not the truth, that's the crime. There's a huge difference. Well, when I said conflating, I'm saying it's a completely different subject when you talk about the Greta Thunberg sort of global warming Oh, we're producing these pollutants. It's going to kill us. No, no. Chemical companies that produce things that modify plants, which we then eat, or which other animals and creatures on the planet. I think we're getting sidetracked, Ron, politically into. We're talking about. No, I'm just. I don't want. You know, I hate to talk about politics. I just want. You know, don't conflate. Don't bring in the pollution stuff, if please. Why are you telling me what I can't bring in? Why are you trying? Why are you trying to limit someone's free speech? God, nobody in this crowd seems to believe in the First Amendment except me. Andrew, you were going to say something. Mm -hmm. Well, I I know we got to get on to Mars. (laughs) We will. There is a perfect segue. Well, let me give. Can I tell you a very quick story? Remember, this is not an interview show. This is a conversation show. Yeah, I I want. Mm. Okay, so years ago, um, when my wife worked in a care facility. Um, she'd worked in it since she was 16 and she'd been there like, I get almost 20 years, but in the end, she injured herself one day, um, bringing garbage out to the back alley and she wrenched her, her shoulder and sort of her, her trapezius area. And it was really like inflamed and, you know, they tried to get her back to work. It didn't work. And she eventually ended up in a, uh, what was called a, a, a re- rehabilitation center in downtown Vancouver. And I won't name it. It doesn't exist anymore, and I'm not surprised. Um, and she went there and with all good intentions, et cetera, et cetera. And there were doctors. There were psychologists. There were physiotherapists. There were occupational therapists. There were, you know, all, all types in this very professional-looking system. And what she began to realize is that something odd was going on. She was having no improvements, and she's not a liar. She's the hardest person I know that that, 
know, works her tail off all her life. And what she noticed was a pattern among all of these quote unquote professionals that they were leaning everything when they found out they couldn't really get her healthy in, in the short period of what we realized later was an allotted period of time sanctioned by the insurance company. Um, they started to move it towards her mind. And the next thing you know, she was being tracked as having a problem with chronic pain. I saw it early and I began to say, let's record everything. Let's make sure we watch this. I'll, I'll give you letters that you can sign off that will be more of an illegalese point of view. And they knew she was you know, poisoning. And in the end, of course, just like others in the program, she was thrown out. Now, let me tell you a little anecdote that she had. She was standing on a lineup. Um, for food, like at one lunch hour when she was doing going to this program. And there was two physiotherapists just slightly ahead of her, and she recognized them. They didn't see her. Their conversation was, Mr. I'll just call him Mr. Brown. Mr. Brown is becoming a problem. He's not getting well, da-da-da-da. And in the end, she, she overheard them saying, how can we manipulate this to make it look like he's the one that's got the problem? Long and short of it was, Richard, this was medical tyranny, and it was being done on a institutional scale right there. This is a small, small, small example. Now, I have a lawyer friend um, was a very good friend for when I was you know, very young in my early 20s, and we remained friends over the years and everything. And I asked her about this. I said, you're a lawyer. Is this what the insurance companies do with the medical system? And she says, oh, absolutely. I used to work for a, a, an insurance company. They told us, lie. Now, these are this is my wife's experience. This was the experience of a lot of people that went through this program. Some people did get better in time, but some people had a longer sort of chronic problem, and it wasn't to do with the mind. All I'm saying, Richard, is that scale that up by a city, by a county, by a province or a state, by a country. Um, I look at my governments at, the, at all the various levels, and I see just corruption all the way through. I, I, and I see either that or, or, or they just don't know what they're doing. They just, they're just dumb or they don't know what they're doing or both. I, I, I don't want to devolve into this, but, but I guess what I'm saying is that these things are, are possible. I know what you're saying. It's a grand scale. It's ridiculous. How could that happen so large? I don't know. I can't answer you, but, but there's a lot of well, data. But, but, all right. Let me stop you there because I agree there's corruption in many different places, but there's also institutions which are empowered by law to root out and punish corruption. There are, there are Sorry. example after example after example. Do they catch everybody? No. Do they catch maybe 20%? Maybe. 30%? Maybe. But whose fault is that? In other words, if people don't complain, did your wife complain? Did she blow the yes. whistle on these guys? And what happened? She, we, she went to court. We had a wonderful lawyer. She won. and um, got. So you know, the system of... worked as it should have. The corruption was found out, was but, it not? But, but yes, yes. But okay, because... so nothing's perfect. Human beings are horrible people when you meet them in mass. Individually, they're great, but in mass, they become mobs. If you have mob psychology, in other words, look the other way. If you have an industry that's built on corruption, I mean. I could tell you horror stories about the medical profession from you know my 20 years with Robin that would curl your hair. Boy. For me, independently, I am you know perfect after having almost died because of a combination of mainstream medicine, 
and her menstruation. So it, it becomes, is it so institutionalized that corruption has overwhelmed the good guys? Are the good guys I, I, losing in every facet and the bad guys are winning? And I guess that's where I, 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 I differ with a lot of people because I think the reason the bad guys win is because good guys don't give a damn. They just don't care enough to take that effort to combat evil when they see it. It's easier would, to go along to get along. I would agree with you on that. And even tonight I had – well, it ended up into a heated discussion with my eldest son. He's, he's 22. And I, you know, he spent time with friends, and it's it's a it's a tepid time right now. And in fact, they were in hot tubs. But it was at, <laughs> there, at his friend's place, and I said, "What do you guys talk about?" And he looked at me, glaring. Oh, we're going to talk about this again. And I, no, I'm asking you a question. <laughs> no, I, I get in trouble for bringing up anything to do with you know what I'm seeing as a massive bring down of humanity on on many many levels. But anyway, and and again, Richard, I think you you agree. It's just that where this is coming from is the question, what is this about and who is – I mean I'm talking to more and more people who I would call the normies who are very mainstream, who have taken their shots and even taken their boosters and are starting to use language like tyranny, like, oh, this incites violence. And I'm thinking, whoa, the language – now, this, the person I'm thinking of is using it in a reverse way. I won't get into the details, but other people I've spoken to have said – it feels like there's a third rail underneath all of this. And I said, that's the feeling I'm getting too, is that whatever our differences are in understanding the data and who's coming out with it, there's something unnerving behind all of it. That's the sense I'm getting. Well, as I let, say, me, let, me, let, me, let me raise a couple of ideas here. What if, as the physics is changing, let's go back to the hyperdimensional model, which says, as the physics is changing, remember the cliche, the good are getting better and the bad are getting worse Yes. <clears throat> in public. So you see public officials who are committing, you know, public suicide by doing and saying things that are outrageous. They no longer do them in private. They kind of boast about them, leaving the rest of, of the culture, the, you know, population to decide <clears throat> is that good or is that bad based on their actions. They're no longer concealing all these things going on. <clears throat> so true. it comes down to choice. It's the choice. It's the choice. Plus, if the physics is changing and we're all becoming more aware, think of it as increased sensitivity, there could be this detection that there's an undercurrent. Yeah, we're being lied to, but they don't know where the lie is coming from. So then you have mass media like Fox News, a huge network with an extraordinary audience that we've never had to deal with before, which systematically, with huge funding, is saying a whole bunch of things that are at variance with a whole bunch of other things. So they develop a, a following, a constituency. So just with the, with, with the crowd that believes there might be stuff on the moon and on Mars, what happened right after we landed on the moon? There was a well-paid campaign. I watched it develop live at JPL literally before the uh, Apollo astronauts had, had reached the Pacific. I watched the conspiracy theory that we never landed on the moon being born in the JPL newsroom, being squired the guy, around, the, the guy in the, in the, in the big dust hand, yeah. handing, out the, handing out the leaflet. So if you, if you have a, a group of people, let's say they're at the cutting edge and they ask questions about everything, they think there could be conspiracies. They have this 
kind of, you know, extrasensory perception, there's something rotten here. If you give them a false conspiracy as opposed to the truth, they'll follow the false conspiracy because their conspiracy bump will have been scratched. The confirmation that, yeah, there's something wrong will have been satisfied. They've just been led down the wrong canyon by design. I'm saying it's not easy being green. It's incredibly difficult these days to figure out truth from lies. You have to invoke a whole new set of skills. And most people aren't, aren't born knowing how to think, how to process data, how to eliminate nonsense and find the signal. And they're being thrown into the deep end of the pool because now nobody trusts anyone on anything including this show, including the other side of the news, including Fox, including MSNBC, including CBS, ABC, uh, and, 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 you know, PBS. Nobody is trusted. No institutions. The CDC, the FDA, NASA. Now we have the intelligence community telling us that, in fact, there could be extraterrestrials. That's a political statement. What we have is factual data based on gun camera footage, radar, you know, pilot reports, congressional briefings, now a Pentagon document saying there are UFOs and somebody's flying them. And obviously the data says they're of extraordinary technical competence. They have control of gravity, which gives them everything they would want. We don't have it publicly. Do we have it privately? Probably, which nation on earth probably would have that level of technology, that skill set? We do. Which nation has suffered the most COVID deaths of any on the planet? We have. We are the target. And so no wonder there is this incredible, you know, dissatisfaction with any truth, any claim, any institution, because it's by design. We are being manipulated and maneuvered into distrusting everything and everyone to our own peril. And with that, we are at the top of the hour. So I'm going to pause here. Um, My guest this morning, too numerous to mention, you can go to the website if you want to uh, uh, take a look. Um, this This is a very important time, probably the most important in modern human history because, and again, coincidences are to be examined carefully. All of this is happening as the physics, the background reality of our three-dimensional existence in the hyperdimensional model is peaking as it has not done for 26,000 years. And again, is that a coincidence? I don't think so. I think that some entities, some off-world entities, some of them manifest as physical vehicles doing incredible things, now admitted by the top intelligence official of the United States government as being quite probably extraterrestrial, are doing something to confront the human species of this planet as the physics is peaking as it hasn't as it has not done for 26,000 years <laughs> 
You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed, and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports, We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out.